Hello, coconuts. Welcome to another episode of TFC Stock Geek Out. Today, I'm excited to introduce a company that is disrupting the money transfer space by making it extremely cheap and easy to transfer money overseas. The best part? They've been growing at a pretty amazing rate, over 30% over the last few years. And surprisingly, their cash flow and operating profit positive. This is rarely seen in high growth sectors and something most investors will love because it contains the double happiness of high growth and healthy profits. Joining me today is Eugene Ng, Chief Investment Officer and also founder of Vision Capital. Eugene believes in buying high-quality companies to represent our ideal vision of the future. One of his investing philosophies is to find excellence, buy excellence, and hold on to excellence. Let's dive in today's episode on TransferWise with Eugene Ng. For reference, this episode was recorded on 27th August 2022. Our discussion today is solely for education and entertainment purposes. It does not serve as any form of advice or recommendations. Thank you for loving what we do and empowering us financially to do more for you. Now, let's geek out. Okay, hello. So welcome to today's Stock Geek Out with the Financial Coconut. So we have an amazing guest and a good friend of mine. His name is called Eugene Ng from Vision Capital. Uh, I believe Eugene is the founder and also the chief investment officer of uh, Vision Capital. So without further ado, I'll let Eugene do a bit of introduction of himself. <laughs> Hi, Max. Uh, it's, it's, good, it's good to be back to, yeah. to the Financial Coconut as well. And I think doing, doing a, I've been doing a couple of uh, stock geek outs as well. Yeah. Uh, I think no stranger, no stranger to the team, but uh, you know, I, I'm an individual investor based out in Singapore. Yeah. So I've been investing for about close to about five five over years um, I guess have a okay track record <laughs> um, I think really just focusing on, on really investing in, in companies that reflect, best reflect our vision for our future that is changing and shaping in the world for the better and I think payments is something that is um, extremely dear to me I've been um, in, in the finance industry for over 12 years um, I think doing FX for almost, yeah, almost 12 years so uh, this is something that is very dear and that's why I think that, that brought us to, to, to this company actually Got it. So yeah, I was trying to think of a nice jumping off, diving in point the last few days. And I think just to give the listeners or you coconuts a little bit of background. So Eugene's a good friend of mine. Also, so I've been very excited. So in case this uh, podcast is a little bit more informal than usual is because yeah, we kind of know each other for a while. And Eugene is one of like the most nerdy, crazy, intense investors I've ever met. And of course, I know your background is also, like you mentioned, you have a lot of FX background. Your your own 9 to 5 job has a lot of financial background in there. So I just want to pick a nice jumping off point. So how in the world did you come across TransferWise in the first place? What's the backstory? How did this gem come about? Yeah. Yeah. So I think for me, I've been making, I, I guess, a fair bit of cr- uh, cross-border payments. So uh, I, what I do is I do a fair bit of angel investing as well. So when I, when I write uh, checks to invest in, in early startups, typically those are in US dollars. So mm. you know, b- me being based out in Singapore, I was trying to find a good and cheap solution for me to, to, to do that, those FX and basically timely send my money across and uh, to, to, to the rounds across, right? So I think when I was uh, chancing upon the cheapest one, instead of trying to use my banks, uh, like Citibank, which was charging 3 three to 4% on all of those fees, and you have no idea when the funds are going to reach um, the other counterparty. It happened to chance upon TransferWise. So I've been using TransferWise for almost uh, three to four years mm. now, actually. So mm. uh, I've been a regular user of them. So I use them not only to make payments, mm. I use them to collect all of my rental for my overseas properties, and then they convert back into sing. Uh, for the, so like, like for example, for my book, right? Uh, I have uh, proceeds depending on where the, the books get sold. 
across the world in different yes. currencies, right. they get automatically co- um, get collected in my TransferWise account. And then when I all need to do is one click, it transfers back into Sing into my into my Sing account. Sweet. So like I, I use it for like you know pay in pay out, uh, collecting of payments, and that's uh, I think that's also when I think when the IPO last year, I was like oh wow I really need to look at this company because it is and the, and the fees and best of it, the fees were really low, and so, when the fees was low and at mid rates and I, and I do I do FX you know uh, I guess for a living, and when I know that you can do it at mid rates and you, and and the fees are extremely transparent there is something special behind it. And if they can make money, you'll be, and profitable is even better. So when I look at, look at the financials, I was like, oh wow, this truly was a gem. So I, I love it because like you mentioned, you kind of discovered the company just through your own daily life or work, even years before they did the direct listing, right? Because this yeah. company came on by direct listing, not the normal IPO way. So I, I guess, um, let's jump in a bit deeper based on what you're saying. So how, or maybe let's kind of, Backtrack a little bit. What was the founding of the company's backstory like? Because I think a little bit of research that I do, the founders are from none other than Skype, Skype yes. <laughs> okay, which has uh, kind of become a lot more old school today. But yeah, how did two founders that started a telecommunications company or media company, which is Skype, how did they end up starting a payments company? This, yeah. this was a really interesting story. I mean, the two co-founders was basically Christoph and Tavet. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were actually both working in London. Now, the interesting thing was that uh, Christoph him, himself was actually, he was actually, at, at the time, he was actually at Deloitte. So he was actually paid in sterling. Mm. And Tavet himself was at Skype and he was paid in euros. Now, what happens was that Christoph was paid in sterling. He needed to actually get euros because in Estonia, it's a very part of the euro and yep. he need to pay for his, his fees. Yep. So what happens is that, and, and then Tavet basically, need, he himself needed sterling because he's in London. He needs sterling for his living expenses. So like these two guys, and I don't want to like, Cross the, the FX and say they, they agreed on the min rate every month, and they basically ended up. Christoph will basically pay uh pay sterling to Tavet and transfer to his account in London, <laughs> and Tavet mm. basically will transfer the euro to Christoph's account in Estonia and pay for his uh his, his uh, housing installment loans, and then when they realize oh okay, that that's something that's doable, and then they started expanding the same thing to yeah. more groups of friends, and they realized this internalization of capital became so important and that really that started grew bigger and bigger and it started building really from there yeah i i so i'm i'm gonna like kind of uh i love it because when i first heard this story as well it was i think part of their founding video that it's very popular on their youtube channel uh it's kind of like the founding story so let me just get this straight it's these two founders who are good friends one of them earns in certain currency another one earns in a different currency and when they want to transfer money to each other for whatever reason they don't want the money to cross the border because once it crosses the border it involves the banks which takes a, a certain sizable cut which they just die die don't want to give away so they kind of use each other's local banks to kind of arbitrage this and to kind of circumvent uh, the money out of the country. So actually the money still stays in the country. Is that what you're saying? You're absolutely yeah. right. You're absolutely so, right. So that's my question. I want to go in deeper. So this is possible if I know you and you know me, but what is how did they scale this to the point where, let's say, they can now have so many different business customers or even small, medium enterprise, which is their main bulk of the customer base. We'll get into that later. How are they able to have so many different money pools across different parts of the world? That's the first question. Mm-hmm. And secondly, isn't this also clonable by, let's say, a PayPal? I can just also do different liquidity pools around the world and ta-da, I've cloned it. So let's get to the first question first. How did they make this doable yeah okay i th- i think really is key is when they found out that there was a solution so what happens is that when you realize 
in in the in the FX world and the cross border payments, there are, there are people with different uh, needs, and and as they start growing this, they started discovering more and more people with the same needs, mm-hmm. and when the product exploded, you were matching constantly needs. So after a while, actually, you realize in the entire FX world. Like I give you an example. If someone was if 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 a Filipino uh, overseas worker was working in the US, they would consistently have to pay send send Philippine pesos every month. Yeah, it, it doesn't really change. Mm. So like in Christos in Christos way, right? He needed to just pay his his Estonian housing housing loan. Uh, he needed to do that every month. So yeah. after a while, he realized a lot of the payments they can be ad hoc if you are doing e commerce purchase, but it, it can also be very recurring depending on yes. that nature. That's and true. when when it comes to a it ultimately comes to a confluence of of, of that now in our, in every country there are going to be surplus con, surplus or deficit in terms of where some of these remittances or some of these overseas payments come mm. depending on that but that's really the, the founding block and when you started expanding throughout globally around the world those cross um, conference of those needs really came in together. And I think that's really where they just found that their sweet spot. And so right now, I think uh, they had they had they had a matrix which was about fifty. Uh, the majority actually of their flows are actually internalized. Yes. Which means the beauty of this is that you don't have to go through the entire payment rails. Like just now you shared, right? When you go through a payment rail, first the banks earn an FX rate. You don't know what FX rate is up is upfront. It's typically anywhere from three to five percent. Yeah, there's, that's there's historically a bit of that non transparency. Then you have you have the, those fees that go on top. Now, with this, you, you know all that. Because what happens is that you don't need to do an FX. You agree at the mid-rate, which mm. is the most transparent rate possible. Mm. And then, basically, you pay the fees literally from trans- from doing their local payment transfers. And that, that's literally what happens. So, I think when they build those, the, the, t- the toughest bit of this, and that's really the most enduring bit, is the moat. The moat in the sense of building that local infrastructure. Payments mm. infrastructure, you think it's, it's seemingly easy. It's actually very difficult. Mm. When you get regulatory approvals to set up certain things and you do it, that it takes very long. So, like for example, for them, they took over eight and eight, eight and a half years. They spent over eight about eight hundred million dollars to build this because they will need the different cash funds or liquidity pools, which is what we call it, to be set up in the different countries. So each of these setups will take some red tape and logistical nightmares to go through to set it up. Am I right? Exactly. And when okay. someone sets it up and makes the payment, it has to go through smoothly without any manual intervention. That whole yeah. process. Uh, it's insanely crazy and it really, uh, once you build it, becomes extremely scalable. Mm. And that's really, uh, you know, that, that whole driver of that. So they found it, firstly, at the individual level. Now, because I want you to look at, at, at the whole payments, cross-border payments market, right? So there are three payments market. One is enterprise. Enterprise are your top tier, very yes. big, largest companies. That's right. They need to do FX. They, the, the, the amount of FX that they do is typically about 50% of the market. But those... The margins are typically, I can tell you because I used to do a lot of that, mm. and they're less than 10 basis points or even more than that. And they account for about 5% of the entire TEM of revenue to be earned, even though they account for 50% of the, of the volumes. Mm. And a lot of the enterprise, when they do all that, that it's not just spot, spot trace. When I mean spot trace, meaning uh, an FX that you do, has, there has to be settled, say, in two days from now. Yes, They do a lot, could be doing forward hedging, you know, one year, six months, two years, and, right. and doing a fair bit of that, which requires uh, bank FX lines, you know, ISDAs, credit lines, to do all that, which TransferWise does not operate. Mm. And, and should not want to operate, because to be honest, it's something that is dominated by the institutional banks, mm-hmm. who need large balance sheets to do all of that. Now, if you take out the enterprise that comes down two markets, one, you have the, the individual market, and yep. two, you have the what we call the small medium business market which is transferwise which is what transferwise correct now. so what transferwise yeah. actually started on the individual side they found that niche and they found it to be to be extremely strong and then and then after that they realized oh 
a lot of consumers started using it and started doing it faster. Yep. And then after that, when it started going up and then found the next market, which could, could obviously was also the largest TEM. So like, I think if you look at, for example, in terms of TEM-wise, um, uh, con- individuals account for about 2 trillion in terms of uh, global FX volume. SMBs is about three, three, three and a half times larger, about 7 trillion. Yes. Right? Uh, the revenue of SMB is about two times that of uh, of individuals. So the global time is around 120 billion or so. Mm. So it's still very, very large. So they, when you, they found out, and, and actually the take rates, right? I mean, or, or rather the, the, the margins on on SMBs is about 1%. Yes, which is higher than the enterprise. Which is much higher than yes. enterprise. So, yeah. so there is a sweet spot, you see. Correct. And, and when you do all of these transactions, typically they're all f- cash funded. Meaning the cash has to be in the account, done the FX conversion, yep. and, then, and, then, and then the funds are sent. So actually what happens is that you mitigate a lot of credit risk which the banks, they themselves cannot do with SMBs or small medium price risks because you need credit lines in order to do all of this. So becoming or really expanding from individual down to, to small medium businesses, they really just found, found that niche and, and they're growing. And right now you can see the latest financials. Um, the, the SMB business is growing much faster than even the individual business. Yep. And the per clip size for SMBs are almost five to six times larger than that, right? Correct. That's so right. And the take rates are quite similar. I think uh, individual take rates are about 60 basis points. SMB is about 60 basis points. Mm. So t- just 10 basis points lower. So the take rates are not that much lower. Uh, they're much larger on a per-transaction basis. Right. And, and, and you the, can see their growth. The cool part I thought was pretty cool was like, not only are they actually bypassing a lot of these middlemen, but their take rates and their revenues are increasing along with the volumes. But their take rates have been declining across the years, right? So, you know, investing, there's this thing that we kind of uh, always talk about, which is the ability to do right by the customer. It's called like win-win-win. So, not mm. only does the customer win, the business win. So, they are able to make more profits, but yet the take rate is going down, which we'll get into it, uh, mm. into it later, probably along the economies of scale part. So, I want to dive in a bit deeper. So, so this is the claim that I saw during uh, my research to prepare for this, right? Mm. And that is, they stated that, um, or TransferWise states that their price is eight times cheaper on average than what leading traditional UK banks do. And in their investor presentation, I can't recall the exact number. They also packed themselves a lot to PayPal by saying that hey, we are also way cheaper than PayPal in terms of the take rate and commission. So earlier on, you mentioned this point and that is like, you know, there's a lot of red tape to set up these different liquidity pools in different countries. But hey, why can't can't a PayPal and a leading bank institution in UK also go do that? Because these guys also have strings they can pull. These guys are big organizations. So uh, in a way, we're getting into the mode uh, down here already. So what is stopping the bigger boy? So maybe for a small player to do that, it's hard. But what's stopping a bigger boy like PayPal to come in and do that? Yeah. PayPal used to used to be able to do that, and mm-hmm. they started off really with like the eBay business. So they had they had all these local pools of liquidity as well, which they do manage on 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 their treasury side as well. But the interesting thing about PayPal is when you make a payment, most of the time when you're making a payment to someone, you're using your credit cards, and yes. that inherently already has the cost. That, that you oh. you can't escape from it because you're using your credit card and your credit card which determines is tied to the bank. <laughs> which is tied to the bank. So that, that, that 3 to 4%, you have to pay no matter what. And then PayPal charges you know, extra on top to the, to the merchants for that. Well, now, PayPal has this great stuff, right? Because it acts as a trust and as a checkout button. You know, it, it enables people and with one click, they can do it. Now, PayPal does it largely for e-commerce, but, but PayPal really is the enabler for e-commerce more than for cross-border payments. Yes. Because for cross-border payments, if I want to make a transfer, I have to use my credit card to pay. And, and I, if I have to pay 3-4%, why do I use something else, right? Yeah. And I think that's really that mode. And ultimately, PayPal side, you have to cross the border because, because of that, right? And, and the, the bit on banks, right? Why can't banks, um, I guess, really do this? Because you need to build the, the technology stack. 
banks when we are, when we doing FX, we are doing interbank settlements mm-hmm. with with customers making large payments, and and this is something I want to go through, right? You don't realize that actually the current payments landscape is actually really outdated. The SWIFT payment is is really outdated. So let me try to give you an example, right? Okay. okay. Now let's say I do a, a, a an FX to sell dollar and buy euros. Okay. Okay. To to send to send to your account in in London, and I'm okay. based out say in Singapore. What I need to do is that I need to give my dollars yeah. to to the FX bank over here. Mm. They need to send to their US correspondent bank. Yes. Okay. And then after that, so let's, let's, let's put it this way. Let me, let's send euros, for example. Okay. okay. So maybe send euros here. The banks bought, bought the euros over here. They need to first send the euros over to the correspondent bank on the other side, mm. which you're receiving. So let's say, for example, you're receiving Barclays, London. Yeah. So that's the first layer, First right? layer. Yeah. So and ba- Barclays, London, so they say happen to be there. They are the euro, euro clearing bank. So I need to send to Barclays, London. And then Barclays, London needs to then basically on-send on send back to, to, to the Benny Bank. And then after that, gets gets credited. So when you have many, many different layers of this, of this what we call correspondent banks, right? Each layer takes a card. Each card. layer takes a card. Nice. Each layer is slow. And you know what? It takes time. Because, because in the traditional payment system, it's a bathtub concept. The funds come in, there are funds, the funds get paid out. Mm. The funds do not, do not come in, uh, be, the funds do not really get paid out before they come in. Yeah. So actually with this, you have actually bypassed every single... So, so you can imagine, like the majority right now, Transferwise, I think has the latest statistic, which is around, if I'm correct, um, about 52% of their transfers are now instant. And 90% within 24 hours. Correct. And that was the statistic. Do you, do you, do yeah. you have 52% yeah. that is instant? Yeah. yeah. It that is was, insane because yeah. I can tell you, if you do enterprise effects... Two to five days. <laughs> no, enterprise effects, you can settle within yeah. the same day oh, okay. if I'm doing it. Okay. But it takes hours. Okay. No, I can tell you no enterprise FX when you're being done when you're sending a payment. It's it's within five minutes. So I like if I yeah. if for example if I want to pay Thai baht, yeah. you know, to, to, to an account in, yeah. in Thailand, I literally could make the transfer and I, if I open say my sign commercial bank uh, there and I will see the Thai baht being credited. That is yeah. that is I can tell you I can tell you no one else can do it. Got it. And actually, that, that, that was the part that uh, I was pretty mind blown because they have this chart in their investor presentation. So yeah, you're actually spot on, right? 50% of wise payments, which is transfer wise, are mm-hmm. instant. 88% arrive within 24 hours. And then they mentioned, in contrast, a bank wire transfer takes two to five business days. So that is like way, way longer. And so the mechanics of this is because the money never leaves the country. So in a way, let's say just now your example, you wanted to transfer a certain amount and that amount really in the traditional banking system really leaves your system and then goes to the bank side. And then from there, there's multiple layers. Each layer takes a small cut mm. and then after that transfer. But at the transfer wise way is whatever you want to transfer, uh, they kind of know the amount and then they find that country that you wanted to transfer that currency to and they find that local pool of liquidity for that currency and they just do a transfer in that country to the other bank account right and, and the most powerful thing about this is really network effects the more users they have in each country mm-hmm. the greater the pools of liquidity because yes. because you then have the, the more the, first of all, the more users you have in the UK yep. you're more sterling because maybe people need to sell sterling and, and, and make other transfers yep. and whereas if for some people wants to you know then transfers sterling inside there that is so that they are very actually very very strong inherent uh, network effects of course you must have the timing because yep. that must happen but the market is so large and if you look at it Transferwise is nearly about one percent penetration of the glo- of the global it's cross early border. Days, so it, it is really early days, and they have shown 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 that po- that, that that progress. And, and will you say like because uh, of the network effects to what you're saying? So mm. the more users want to use that, the, the more it becomes more popular. So the bigger the float 
pool of money in that currency stays there, which allows them to earn from that float. So is that like a significant part of their earnings at this point or, or what? This is very interesting because I think yeah. when Transformers first started, majority of their revenues were actually conversion income or FX conversion income okay. and, and, and basically the fees that you charge on top of that. Yes. So let's so just keep it as conversion yes. revenues, right? Yeah. But what happens so is that when now... Um, a lot of the users and the customers are actually allowed to own have accounts with TransferWise. And TransferWise are actually not allowed to pay interest on those accounts mm. because they're not deposits. And as in a rising interest rate environment especially, you might think some bad for a lot of number of companies yeah. is actually good for TransferWise because they're not, they have not what we call float. Yes. And when you have float, you actually earn interest, yeah. interest, on, on interest income. Float, and you can right. see in the latest yeah. uh, earnings they have actually started reporting interest income in addition to and it's figuring out okay now we have actually have more income and yeah. we're deciding okay can we, can, can we lower the fees of our customers yes. can we give them other can we invest in other things can we then ah. do other stuff so that becomes it's like really what we call like skill economic shit you're, yes. you're adding it into other different stuff right and okay. I think that's, that's really the beauty of it so the mindset here is they are actually looking to give it back to the customer you know unlike they, they can keep it or, yeah. or they can give it back but I think they're, yeah. they're always thinking about what what really is driving the customer? Right? Okay, mm. got it. So I think yeah, this is a very good transition time to, uh, for the listeners listening. Let us go a little bit into the numbers or the financials first, right? So that there's something for them to latch on. So maybe we can just uh, talk about the top line first in terms of uh, how much is the top line like in growth, and then we can go further down the income statement. Yeah. yeah. So I think the top line, if you look at the full year twenty two uh, revenue number, um, the revenue number is around five hundred and sixty million uh, pounds. Right. Uh, I think they did roughly, if I'm correct, uh, actually I don't have roughly the number but if I look at the full year 23 number I think they, they should come in excess of 100 billion uh, mm. pounds roughly yeah. on, on 30% on 35% growth rates which the which the, the company is guiding yeah. so at 100 billion uh, you know transaction volumes that are moving mm. they are not a small player they clearly know how to move money and they have clearly done it well right um, the, full year, the full year 22 growth rates were at 33% yes uh, th that was that and, uh, and their full year 23 revenue guide was uh, between 30 to 35% and, and the margins are pretty, I would say, what's a good word? Pretty sick <laughs> as well, right? So they are actually profitable on both like a free cash flow basis and even an operating gap. Uh, gap it's not even non-gap yeah right? it's not even non-gap which is what we're very used to looking at growth <laughs> investors so uh, I don't want to talk a bit about that right so like so the margin profile actually improved I'm looking at 2021 financial year gross mm. margin was 62% last year was 66% I think so just to share a bit of background I'm very impressed by businesses where they can improve their uh, their revenue and margin but yet they decrease the take rates for the customers <laughs> so what's going on can we like kind of pull the curtain back how was yeah. that doable this this really goes into the concept right i think uh nick sleep of, of normac capital really goes into yep. really skilled economic shed i think what happens is that when you build all of this you, fi you find that a lot of the infrastructure is fixed so there's immense operating leverage mm. in the business when when you build the infrastructure already ultimately when more volumes go through Your all, all, all you need to do is computing power and, and cloud yeah <laughs> right yeah so that that really goes through and, and what they can say okay you know we need we can we don't need to make so much money we can make enough money we can let our margins rise a little here and there, mm -hmm. but we don't need to let it rise or to be too greedy. Mm -hmm. And we we give it back to our customers by, by lowering the take rates. And if customers are happy, they're delighted by the cost mm. and what we have given them and, mm. and keep improving on it, it it's a win-win situation. 
And I, and I and I think that's truly truly one of the biggest things. Like yeah. So I I think let's uh, kind of uh, for a little bit of a newer coconuts if you're a bit of a younger newer investor. So you're, what you're kind of describing is like a positive flywheel, a little bit like the I think Costco was the first and then followed by Amazon that uh, has this skill economy share. So what's happening is down here, even though they have very uh, fixed cost that's fixed and then their income increases because there's operating leverage, instead of keeping it for themselves, they reinvest it back to the customer through certain infrastructures or just by increasing the timing, R&D, uh, the timing, uh, lowering the timing to receive the money or basically just reducing the take rate. That increases the customer volume and transactions which then allows them to continue reinvesting back into the business. So that's it's called skill economy share. Am I right? Yes. And something okay. very, very interesting. So, they are, they are, as you said, their the gross profit margins are around 66%, right? Yeah. Their adjusted EBITDA margins are probably around 22%. Yes, that's right. No, their free cash flow margins are 20%. Yeah. What you, what you don't realize is that their free cash flow conversion margins over adjusted EBITDA is almost 90 plus percent. Oh, yes. Which yeah. means yeah. <laughs> they actually that. don't need much capex. Yeah, correct. <laughs> which, so like 90% of their <laughs> earnings is in cash. Yeah, so which means the KPEX is like sub 10%, right? So you're just wondering actually what do they really need to invest in? Yeah, cool. And, and speaking of that, right? Like speaking of the flywheel, of the customer flywheel, I also saw this, which was pretty mind-blowing. 66%, this is from the investor relation, 66% of new customers to TransferWise are referred. Let me just repeat that one more time. 66% of new customers are referred. So this is, um, their marketing spend, I'm, it's still there, obviously, because it's still a young company, but it is organic. So wh- wh- why why is it so popular? Is it just because it's really, the costs are so dirt cheap and, and I'm getting as a consumer, like really like the spot rate or close to the spot rate. Yeah. I, I think for me, for example, I probably must have done 10 to 20 TransferWise referrals on my own yeah. <laughs> over, the, over the last couple of years. It's really ultimately what TransferWise does, right? Um, um, which is to make it cheap, mm. to make it fast, and transparent. Mm. I think really that's 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 really it, and and people like it, and I can do I can make all my transfers basically across border transfer literally within two to three minutes. Understood. Yeah. So like, like I give you an example. I I think there was day, the other day I had to make a, a payment transfer into Malaysia, mm. and the other side received the money within fifteen minutes. That is mind blowing. You yes. know Malaysia is is yes. a restricted yes. current <laughs> country, right? Yeah, and to do that. Like and then the, the other guy was like, "Oh my god, what what was this? I like I need to to sign up also." So okay. so so this just because of this referral, right? It's so powerful. And this after a while you realize because it's such an efficient acquisition strategy, um, the CAC is low or what we call the customer acquisition yeah. cost is low because of the wow factor of the wow factor that makes people want to holy dude like what what just happened? What is this thing you're using that allows me to get the money so fast? And if the customers keep using the product, yeah, the lifetime value actually is not one time. Yeah, it's actually quite long. Yeah. And quite high. Got it. I'm not, I'm not okay. saying that it's infinite, yeah. but I'm saying it can be very long. Okay, so we're starting to sound a little bit too bullish. So let's uh, kind <laughs> yes. of hurry back to exactly, neutral ground exactly. first. Yes. Uh, okay, so let, let's go in a bit deeper. So now we've got the financials, right? We've got gross margins, like 66%. Uh, EBITDA, which is the, the profit adjusted margin, about 20, sub, uh, 20 plus percent. But let's go into the business. So uh, from my, what I see in the uh, investor relations, they have three types of product types. They have the wise account, uh, and then there's wise business, and there's the wise platform so if you could just maybe give a one-liner for each one what does each of this do and what 
is actually the product about. So we can mm. start with wise account first. Okay. I think wise accounts largely are, f- are, for, are for individuals in terms of, of supporting that. So like, for example, mm. when individuals are making payments, mm. you can have, again, accounts, multi-currency accounts to, to receive or, or to make payments or to, let's say, I want to buy, buy the FX first, store mm-hmm. an account, and then maybe make their payment out later. Got it. So, so they, can, they can take, I guess, FX positions or... It, or it's a little bit like a virtual bank account. Like a virtual bank account okay. from, from that standpoint. Uh, they yeah. also, that is also supported by the debit cards. Now, then you have business, which yes. is literally supporting uh, small, medium businesses. Now, small, yes. medium businesses, it's not just good enough to just do the payments. You mm. need to have accounts. You need to support in terms of invoicing, payment. And now they have really expanded into the enterprise bit That's right. of, of really recording bit. Because that, that is also, you know, you need to do all of that to, to really support that. And I think that, that's where they have been growing rapidly and, and transiting, taking that business away from the institutional banks, if I can put it that way. Mm-hmm. The last one is really interesting. I think supporting what we call uh, bank cross-border transfers via, via an API. So, so that's WISE platform, is it? WISE platform, okay. exactly. So yeah. they've been finding like what we call like new banks. So they've done like, they have clients like Monzo, which is in the, in the UK. Um, and they're basically using using WISE to make all the, all the currency conversions because it just doesn't make sense for them to build their own, um, you know, to offer all of this for such, such fintech platforms, basically. Mm. And that becomes... Truly amazing because every single thing you scroll through goes through Wise's uh, architecture, mm. and as long as they make sure that every dollar is is, is revenue or and, and profit accretive, yes, it, it eventually goes down to the bottom line. And those when you it might take long gestation periods to set up, but once it sets up, it becomes um, you know tremendously can 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 be can be quite powerful. Got it. And, but then again, this yeah. will not be the big big banks because yeah. the big banks will have their own. Yes. It will be what we call mostly the smaller smaller tier yes. banks, and I think that's where really the and and I would say the upcoming fintechs as well. And I, I want to double click on the the business segment. So looking at their financials, the bulk of their customers and also revenue as of now is still coming from the personal side, the personal space, which is the just the individuals to individuals, right? But their higher growth rates are coming from the business side of things. Am I, am I right to say so? This is very interesting. Yeah. Right now, about 5 million customers. Yeah. About uh, 4.7 million of them are individuals. Yeah, the individuals. Correct? Right? Yeah. So you have a business about 300k. Mm. But yet at the same time, uh, yeah. the, the the volumes, is, it's almost, I would say, uh, if I remember, I couldn't remember. I don't have the exact number here over here, mm-hmm. but it's not too not too different in terms of revenues. Yes, because the enterprise themselves spend yes. much larger yep. and in much larger sizes. For obvious, first reasons. they spend larger sizes, the tickets, and then they spend. They do a lot more transactions, and it's actually faster growing. And it's faster growing. Yes. So to me, I mean, for me, the investment thesis really, it's the enterprise growth story. Okay. Over the individual growth story, because firstly, the enterprise TAM is larger. Mm. The enterprise is growing faster, and with accounts it is stickier. Mm. Much more stickier because we have individuals most of the time when we get the money, right? Yeah. We transfer back to our local bank accounts. Mm. Some might try to stay there. Wise might probably need to do something to pay some interest. But yes. on, on, on the business side, they, they do all like, always say the cash flow management for, for this. So it becomes, it can become very, very sticky. Yes, because now they have, it's kind of lodged there with the money and for businesses, you you don't really transfer that often as an individual, right? Exactly. Yeah. So for businesses, when you do it, it becomes more recurring. So you actually end up, it actually strengthens the the, the, uh, the stability of the revenues. I, I like it. So th- this is the thing I want to go in a bit deeper, right? Mm. So they are able to achieve this uh, amazing kind of uh, lowering of fees because I think one thing I kind of came across was Please, please correct me if I'm wrong, hmm. right? They actually fix their exchange rate for certain 
particular periods. Am I right to say so? Based on what I, I read so far. So like, mm. so the point what, what I was trying to say is that so if wise they kind of fix the exchange rates a little bit for the customers, then wouldn't they bear a little bit of foreign exchange risk when the currencies move, but they kind of fix it a little bit for the customers? Correct. Yeah. So wise does a fair bit of, of natural hedging yes. from the standpoint. Yeah, so I think, I think this, is, this is a crucial point because if you think about it, um, most of the global FX markets trade mm. 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Right? So your euros, your, your yen, your sterling, sterling yeah. pounds, they're all 24 hours. Yeah. Now, not every country trades uh, no, like that. So like if you look at dollar BRL, like mm. dollar Brazilian real, it only trades during onshore um, you know, Brazil hours. Yes. It doesn't trade outside of that. So then you have the closing rates. And so what WISE does is that basically WISE uses the closing rates and, and applies a, 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 a basically that and, and, and use, all, use, use, use all of that basically. Mm. So there will be that risk and they have done uh, a fantastic risk management from the standpoint. So there will be, I think most of their, as, as, as the, um, the balance sheet basically says, most of their hedges are naturalized mm. and when they can do all this, they basically do, do FX hedging. Okay. I don't. I don't know exactly whether how do they do it because like Brazil's, you know, you probably might do it some some non durable forwards or what we call NDFs. Yeah. Um, to kind of proxy the risk. So it depends really on the notional. But I guess I guess the example is they probably will have thresholds internally, and I've seen their risk management. They do have thresholds internally. So if I'm making a ten thousand dollar BRR payment, even if the FX move one percent, it's going to be a hundred dollars. It's mm. not really. It's not really going to drastically move the needle. Mm. But of course, if you have fat tail events that keep happening like that and there's a big movement of fee of um, transfers then it can that's be a, that's it can be tricky it can be okay. tricky right so I think they have tre- they have thresholds yeah. they have treasuries that, that manage this 24 hours and they know when those thresholds are breached mm. they need to go out to the market to do it if not basically they'll let the flows internalize and okay. it's better to let the flows internalize uh, from that standpoint rather than to to go out to the to the market and, and do that. Understood. Okay, cool. So I, I think before we go in a bit further, because I want to push into the risk section, because I think the last mm. 15 minutes have been a bit more bullish, but mm. I just want to do a quick recap first. So basically for transfer-wise, the main mode we're talking about here, uh, I'm, there's a few, but number one is what you mentioned, is network effects. Because the more people want to do transfers in that currency, uh, the more popular it becomes, and it kind of allows them to lower their costs as well because of the infrastructure they can create in that country whatsoever. That's number one. And number two, their skill economy is shared because of the fact that if they actually get more volumes, they can and their their cost infrastructure is fixed. They can return a lot of more of the more of the profits back to the customer, and their take rates actually pretty amazing. So. Uh, there was this diagram I was seeing. In 2019 uh, financial year, the take rate was 0.64%. Uh, it's fluctuated around that to 0.7%. Now it's at about 0.61% in the latest quarter. So it's actually trending downwards uh, gradually. So would you say those are mainly the modes? Just to double check on that. Yeah, I, I think yeah. The, the, the one to just add on to the first mode is yeah. really the local liquidity pools mm. that enables the first mode. Mm. Which, okay. you, which you have inter- oh, yeah, en- enables the yeah. network effects, right? Because you don't have the local, li- local liquidity pools. Yes. That is the really the infrastructure. Mm. That is that is really true. Truly, that because that, that allows the money to not have to cross borders, and, right? Exactly. Okay. Cool. So yes, now that we know the strengths of that, so let's talk a bit about the potential risk that you foresee. So we've covered the foreign exchange risk. Uh, that we've covered a little bit about why can't PayPal and banks come in to eat their lunch. So what else do you see that could kind of maybe destroy or kind of uh, shift the thesis a little bit? The biggest risk, I guess, is. If there's a if we go into a global de- global depression, because I think the way to think about it is that they still have a very small market share. They continue to grow. Mm-hmm. I guess if they can't develop, if they can't develop on the product, they can't deliver on the product. Mm. Um, let the customers or they continue to delight the customers, and they start going to another competitor, um, and and do that. I think that will be the biggest mode. 
And you will see, I guess, uh, when, say, quarter on quarter, if there are declines and, and stuff. Mm. But I think more importantly, when we need to differentiate if, for example, let's say, if the broader economy is slow, and maybe on an individual side, the growth is not as big or not as fast, right? Or maybe when that... So there are probably some times where, you know, on the individual side, it could be more subject to more macro. But I think overall, if directionally, if that trend continues to stay elevated, mm-hmm. um, I think that, that can be uh, a, a very strong... Uh, growth trend on the business side I think if they continue to keep acquiring new customers customers keep doing a lot more FX and the business continue to grow faster than 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 personal because I think on the personal side I think there are a lot of people using transferwise like for example in Singapore I'm just doing a, an anecdotal check mm. a lump, like I, a high percentage already are already using transferwise so I'm not trying to say that the individual market is tapped out but I think they, they need to grow the, the business side. Uh, Which is what they're trying to do right and now, I think, right? But, so yeah. any, any key factors in terms of what I'm watching really, it's um, a massive deceleration, continued deceleration of the growth rates mm. um, across a couple of quarters, not just one quarter or two quarters, I think. And that is more structurally due to the business rather than due to the macro, mm. because that means they're not, they're not doing something right and competitors are probably coming in. I think that's really some, my, my, my biggest... I think it's more really ex- it's really execution here already. Okay. If they continue to keep doing what they're doing, I think that 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 in my mind. Yeah, because the product is proven, they have yeah. very very good market fit. Because otherwise, the there wouldn't be a sixty six percent referral rate, right? So it's more like an execution risk here. Okay, fantastic. So yeah, before we go into valuations, I want to kind of uh, just do a side tangent. So I think because I've known Eugene for a while, you are very very knowledgeable in the payment space and industry. So I just want to ask a quick question. So how do you, it's going to be more like 50,000 foot view, how do you foresee the payments industry kind of evolving from here on? Because from these conversations I'm seeing, and, it, and it's not just about uh, transfer-wise, right? you talk about like Adyen and stuff, which we'll not get into right now. There is a lot of bypassing of middlemen, banks, all these traditional institutions. Even the entire crypto space is in a way a metaphor for that. So how do you foresee the payments space will evolve in the coming decade like will there be a lot of just these middle men being wiped out and fees just being lowered to the point where it's just full transparency what, what do you think i'm, I'm no prophet uh, yeah. just just to say first <laughs> so i think what i can do is try, try to give give a sense of what i i think right i think the, the broadest team is really the war on cash so in terms mm. of payments we're all moving from you know checks cash physical cash and coins uh really to to, to something that's electronic uh, we have done that through what we call Visa and Master in terms of the, or American Express on the rails, which mm-hmm. is like well, your credit cards and debit cards. Yep. Now, of course, you can have a buy now later as, 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 as an alternative rail as well, or what yep. we call BNPL. Now, you, you have different routes. Where I see payments uh, in this perspective is really going to be cheaper and faster. And, and this was exactly what um, uh, the, the CEO, Christoph actually said in his recent interview. Um, and I think that's really how I think payments is going to be. You must understand that payments, because when you're enabling something, I don't think, because of the infrastructure, that actually drives certain advantages. And I think because of that, it's not going to be a perfectly com- competitive market. Mm-hmm. As you can see, for example, in, in, in credit cards, you have literally an oligopoly. Yes. Right? Outside of China, ex-China, you literally have, have Visa, Master, and, and Amex. Yeah. Right? Amex is slightly different because they, they do hold the, you know, the customer balances on their books. But Visa and Master purely just toll booth, yeah. toll booth for, for transactions, right? And, in, and, and if you look at, for example, in, in enabling um, payments, um, electronic payments, on, 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 co- on the corporate side, you have Stripe and Adyen. And of course, you have Dlocal and, and a couple of other 
got a couple of, couple of other guys and you will always need someone like um a wise to to make to make the cross border transfers <laughs> right so i think everyone plays a specific role yeah. i don't think um, it, I think Wise would take some time for, for Wise to become the domin- yeah. dominating dog I think there will be some local guys who will come up and, and have that for sure for sure. and I think yeah. that, that will be the way but I think nobody can come in and try to burn <laughs> and try to get to get market share because eventually yeah. if, they, if, they, if they get it and it's not sustainable yeah. it's, it's going to be long and I think that um, I think Wise could probably sustain his lead a, a little bit more and so customer I, satisfaction also is very crucial right? very very yeah. crucial so if, if customer satisfaction drops uh, you know that's going to be mm. so I think really uh, payments Faster, cheaper, mm. um, and interestingly, I think also we have talked about a lot of this already on on credit and credit uh, credit cards and debit cards. Increasingly, a lot of our payments are already on local payment methods. Yes. So right. actually, you think I mean for me, ninety five percent of is really being done in Singapore yeah. or electronic. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really doing very little, right? Yeah. So I think that that trend is probably going to be more across across the world. Nice. Thanks for the prophecy down there <laughs> well, we'll check back on this podcast like five years later and see how, what, what turns out true based on your vision <laughs> okay so last part valuations so yeah um, how, how do you how do we actually know whether it's a good price to actually invest into TransferWise right now so, so in terms of valuations so I just want to share a little bit right so yeah. I don't really do what we call uh, DCA valuations so I don't do discounted cash flow valuations Understood. and I don't and I, when I think about investing in companies I really don't think about present values I mm. think about forward or what we call future values mm. right so let me try to give you an example of how I think about this so right now for example the trading 12 month revenue is around 560 um, selling pounds right transferize has shown to grow almost I would say 30-35% over very 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 consistently very very over the last three to five years and I think they can continue to do that. Yeah. So let me just try to put some numbers across a range of values. And I, and I prefer to think not in one one value, but in, in a range of, of, course, of values, yeah. right? So if they grow, for example, revenue Kager over the next five years, because we are long-term investors, yeah. um, anywhere between 25 to 35% Kager, yeah. that revenue number from 560 million is probably going to go to 1.7 billion to mm. 2.5 billion. Mm. Now we know the current free cash flow margins are 20%. We know that the, we know that the, the business is clear is clearly has op- operating leverage and definitely can 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 grow further some more. Mm-hmm. So you assume very conservatively twenty percent free cash flow margins all the way from twenty percent to thirty percent. Mm-hmm. That brings us free cash flow from anywhere from three hundred million to eight hundred million. Okay. Now I want to run you through. Their current market cap is five billion. Okay, okay. I see where you're going. So the this. far end, okay. I just shared that's now was eight billion. Okay. So eight billion versus five billion, <laughs> and if I just assume simple simple future multiples, Multiple, right? Yeah. This is going to trade at a premium. Okay. You will not trade cheap, okay. right? And let's let's assume multiples that anywhere range from uh, you know market cap to to free cash flow multiples at mm. anywhere from twenty to 30, 40 x. Okay. That would probably get us to a future market cap of anywhere from seven to thirty billion. Uh, just to check your your seven to thirty billion, the lowest uh the lower range, what multiple is it using? Just to 20 X. I see. I think twenty X okay. for uh okay. yeah. for a, a twenty percent a twenty percent yeah. free cash flow is very, rare, it's very I think it's quite reasonable. Right? I think it's, yeah. it's, it's it's let me put it. Yeah, but I, I would presume it's more than twenty for sure. <laughs> yeah, right? I think like, it's yeah. probably gonna be more if they're if yeah. you're still growing at thirty percent, yeah. 
uh, you know, which means their rule of their rule of yeah. they're probably rule of fifty, rule of sixty, right? Yes. Then they will probably be trading even okay. even higher, right? So if I do that, if you can think about it, the, the future market caps are probably between seven to thirty mm. versus the current market cap of five billion. Okay. The IRRs are probably anywhere between six percent to forty three percent in the next five years. Yeah. Okay. So I think I mean that's how I think uh, I think about it. Understood. So I'll just do a recap for the listeners because there's a few numbers we're throwing out at them and if you're listening to this on the treadmill or whatever, you may just get lost. So what you're using is you're using the 560 million revenue which is uh, in the latest financial year. And I know management also did guide that they foresee it being able to grow at least 20% year on year but you use 20 uh, 30 to, to 35. Uh, 20 to 35%. 30 to 35. Oh, 30 to 35. Okay, coming, yeah. pardon me. So use that uh, revenue, Kager revenue uh, growth across the next five years. Am I right? And then you use uh, the current free cash flow of 20%, you assume they continue to apply operating leverage. So get that gets you to maybe conservatively about 30%. So you use 30% on that final revenue number of was it 1.7 billion or something yes. like this. Yep. So you get the final number and you slap a multiple of between 20 to maybe 30-ish about that. And that gets you the market cap compared to today's market cap in five years. The rate of return is how much roughly again? Not for forty percent. Okay. So I'm. I, so I mean, we are. <laughs> we are. They're obviously base case scenarios. And Ladies and gentlemen, they're, they're this podcast scenarios. it's not investing <laughs> yeah, advice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Correct. But I think. I think it's it's crucial that we just think about it, right? Because, um, the the we really got to think about the north star in terms of investing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the north star is as I, I, ch- I tend to always say, where revenues go, profits go, and cash flow goes, mm. the stock price ultimately flows. Yes. Right. And I think that's really, 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 really the north star. If they can continue to grow thirty percent, uh, you know, 20, 20 to 30, 30 plus percent, yeah. for the next five seven years, yeah. um, I I think current at current valuations it looks quite attractive. And also, I mean, of course, I'm not a profit here as well. Looking mm. at their market share of one percent penetration, it's um, possible. It's possible given uh, the size that or the addressable market that they have up for grabs. Okay, so yes, coconuts, uh, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, that actually is transfer wise. Any final words from you, Eugene? From um, where can my people find you? Uh, Vision Investing is there a website? Is there a Twitter account handle they can follow you at? Thank, thanks, yeah. thanks a lot, Max. Uh, yeah. I think it's it's really a very delightful podcast, and as as usual, you know the the deep dive and and the questions that you're asking are thoroughly very very insightful and very very curious and very very inquisitive. Um, you can you can find me. Uh, I'm most active on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is Eugene, E U G N E N G underscore V C A P. called like Vision mm. Capital. Uh, I do write a Substack, but not very frequent. I try to write write it uh, <laughs> as meaningfully as I can, and therefore as enduring as I can. <laughs> Uh, and more time and rather than more being timely from that perspective um, so, so you can find it at vision investing uh, I think dot substack or something like that yeah. <laughs> along those lines as well yeah and he also has a fantastic book you can check it out on Amazon it's called vision investing right? and I, I say that not just for the fun of it I actually read the book right a lot of uh, stuff on future growth investing in terms of buying the best companies for the future alright so with that said thank you very much and thank you very much and thanks coconuts and see you next time hey coconuts So I hope you learned something useful today. Definitely recognize that investing is a personal decision. We are not giving you recommendations here, but are always happy to geek out with you about different interesting companies and trends for the future. This series definitely has a lot more depth than terms, and we want you to tell us what stock to analyze. So if you have any feedback or ideas, do drop us a line through our socials or email us at hello at thefinancialcoconut.com. See you in our next episode.